always said she was good as gold And he can see no reasons Cause there are no reasons What reason do you need to be sure? Your local community radio station, Pure West Radio. Hello, it's Toby Ellis here, and I'm really excited to tell you about Lynn Perfect's show, Heart to Heart, as on a Sunday night between 9 and 11, she will be able to give you some helpful wellness advice using her spiritual connections. She'll be able to get rid of some negative energy and turn that into a positive. We hear some wonderful stories and uh, some tales from her adventures, but also Lynn is just a wonderful person to confide in. So whether maybe if you're worried about some uh, marital issues at the moment, possibly be meet you and the partner are maybe just having a few issues at the moment, or possibly maybe you're struggling a little bit in work, or maybe you haven't got as much energy as you normally do have, well, Lynn Perfect will be able to give you some very helpful wellness advice. Uh, she joins you on Heart.
Heart to Heart each and every Sunday night between 9 and 11 right here at Pure West Radio. Pure West Radio for Pembrokeshire from Pembrokeshire. Good evening. 
evening and welcome once again to POS Radio. You're tuned in to myself, Lynn Cheryl Perfect, here at Heart to Heart. And of course, joining me tonight, we do have my technical, technical, Emma Ruth Thomas. Good evening, Emma. Good evening, Lynn. Good evening, everybody. It's Sunday night and I'm so excited about tonight's show. I have to say it is the 34th anniversary weekend of Lied Aid. Woo! So if anybody 34 years ago yesterday watched Live Aid, you may remember that magnificent concert that was raising funds for famine. So we're going to be playing the tunes from that era tonight, especially for you. We have got some wonderful requests, some fantastic tracks. So very much looking forward to that, aren't we, Emma? Oh, indeedy. (laughs) We've been excited all day, but also we've been excited because tonight joining us, we do have the tour guides, Tudor Thomas and Andy Jones from St. Catherine's Island which is a small tidal island linked to Tenby in Pembrokeshire. Now, some of you may have been there because the island, which is also known as St Catherine's Rock, um, is the location of St Catherine's Fort. So we're going to be hearing some tales, some stories, all about the 13th century island. Because St Catherine's, it used to be a chapel, it used to be a Victorian fort, a very lavish summer residence, and a World War II gun emplacement. It's also been a zoo, and now one of Pembrokeshire's most beautiful and best visitors' attractions. So, after this next track, we're going to be talking to the tour guides, Tudor Thomas and Andy Jones. But we're going to take it away now with Dancing with Tears in My Eyes by Ultravox.
Coast Radio.
Two in a row there from Ultrabox, Dancing with Tears in My Eyes and also Vienna. So as I said, we're very fortunate enough to have in our Halford West studio tonight two tour guides of St. Catherine Island. We do have Tudor and we also have Andy. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you so much for joining us here in the studio tonight. Tell us all about St. Catherine's Island for all of our listeners that may not be aware what St. Catherine's Island is. Right, well, I'd better kick off then. Um, It's a rock off the beach in Tenby. It looks like a prison. It isn't. Um, It's a Victorian fort, which was basically obsolete the minute it was built. It's been um, a ladies' summer house, and it's been um, a, a zoo. Most of the time, it's been a white elephant. Nobody knows what to do with it until we opened it up a few years ago. I have to say to you, it's quite a big rock, though, isn't it? It's a very big rock. Oh, it is a big rock. Does Um, anybody know the height of St. Catherine's Island at all? mm, 26 metres, I think. Wow. Wow, that is quite high, But it's low enough that in the storms in winter, the sea will break over the top. Really? Yeah. That's quite spectacular. Worth watching. Wow. So let's go back to the, the beginning of the story, which is it's a 13th century, isn't it? Because you're a historian as well, aren't you? Yeah. Okay. So what really drew you to St. Catherine's Island in the beginning? I was trapped, basically. <laughs> um, I was told that I was going to be doing just the odd talk up there. Oh, okay. Could I help out? Yeah. And this week we've been hauling bags of grit Apple. up there to reform the path. And I'm talking again next week. It's becoming a full-time commitment and fitness course. Really? So you you just went to start off doing talks. And as you said, you were trapped because that one talk has led now to three years. Is that right? Of you being at at the island? Yes. Last year, I was the main tour guide together with Rosemary. Um... This year we were fortunate to have Andy with us and he's taken over a lot of the work. We still have Rosemary with us so we can spread it out a bit more so that we don't get stale. That's the problem. Absolutely, yeah. I completely understand. So just coming to you, Andy, now. um, You just started not very long ago, did you, actually, on the island? When did you start there? I've been with the guys since November. Um, It started off as just a casual visit, pretty much in the way a Tudor got roped in um, about last September and um, I visited the island and got chatting to the, the gentleman, John, who runs the island, who runs the group. Oh, he's a lovely gentleman, isn't he, John? Yeah. He is. He's a sweetheart, yeah. I will say that because it's live on the air. No, he is. He's he is. He's a, he's yeah, a he's guy. a very guy. He's very he's hard working. He does a lot yeah. behind the scenes and in front of the scenes. Yeah. And um, it, it was a case of leaving the island and thinking, I'm sure I've just been offered a job. And uh, yeah, so I've been this since November now. I've started doing talks with the guys in May, so I absolutely love it. But this sorts you down, suits you down to a T, doesn't it? Because it's really your sort of thing, isn't it, St. Catherine's Hearing my own voice, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us, what is it that you do on the island to begin with? Um, well, off-season we do a lot of work days. Um, we've got some new rooms ready to open up to the public. Um, as Tudor said, we've got a new path going in this week and over the next few weeks. So where does that path lead from? Because I'm very much aware that it, the path, that, well, the stairs, they come from the beach, don't they? Yeah. So they, when the tide is in, mm-hmm. is there access to going up the stairs or is it just when the tide is out at the moment? There are various landing stages, but they're really not recommended to land on. 
Okay. Um, so we're purely tidal based as as far as visitors are concerned. We do have work days where the tide will come in, but then you've got six hours before the tide goes out again, so you can get off the island. Oh, okay. So other than that, are you are you like like literally stranded? Yeah, literally the- stranded. Yeah, and because where the tide comes in from the left and the right side, it creates a very dangerous riptide, and so there's no way you're leaving that so island until the tide goes okay. up again. So the opening hours really depend on the weather conditions and the tides as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Okay. So as you said, I know you've got the the steps going up, and you're actually putting in a new pathway. So where is that pathway leading from to Tudor? Right. Well. If you start from the beach, there are 78 or 79 steps, depending on how you count them, if you've still got breath. You get up onto the gun platform, the Second World War gun platform, which is the best view of Tenby. Yes, it's very beautiful up there, isn't it? It's wonderful. We were dolphin watching earlier from there. I mean, if anybody likes to take photographs at all, uh, scenic photographs, that is an absolutely perfect spot to be to see Tenby, isn't it? Yep. And we will actually do the photographs for the family groups, of course. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Thank um, you. And we sometimes give the cameras back. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell the type of staff that work at St Catherine's, can't you? They're, they're lovely guys. They're very friendly. So you've built this, this um, you've got the, the, the steps, as you said, leading up. And where's the new path that's being So placed? the new path goes from the Second World War gun emplacement okay, yeah. up to the fort. That's sort of... When you get to the gun emplacement, you're at Camp 5, and then you do the final burst to the summit um, <laughs> oh, with the fort. And okay. that's the easy part. And that, but unfortunately, we've had so many visitors, lots and lots of visitors, that the path gets worn away. So, you know, for safety's sake, we've got to keep maintaining it. I understand, and that's the reason for the path being put we've in. We've had a lot of that? funny looks from the boat guys in the last few days because we've had all the visitors stamping on their way out to trade really? down the path. Yeah. Oh, bless them. So let's go back to the history, as we said, of St Catherine's Island. So it used to be a Victorian fort. Was that, was, was that the first thing, or was it the, what was there to begin with on, the, on that fort? Um, St Catherine's Chapel originally, which was built in the 1300s, um, it was very small. If anyone's ever been to St. Govan's um, around the coastline, it was very similar to St. Govan's Chapel. So it was very small, more of a hermitage. And then um, in the 1600s, it was... Was that Christian-based yeah, chapel? Yeah, very early Christian. Um, and during the time of the Reformation in the 1600s, then it was um, ransacked and left in ruins, um, where it became a, more or less a hermitage. Wow. Can I just add in, in there that, it, as far as we know, it's been occupied since before the time of Christ, in other words. Really? Before, prehistory. Because when they were building the fort, they found uh, a lot of cooked animal bones there. For, oh, okay. So obviously there's some somebody been living on there, camping on but, there for a very, very long time. But we don't know who or... Don't know who. Um, and the strange things were discovered they they found um roman coins there oh wow and they found a little egyptian statuette um uh, technically called the new starby but yeah. forget that it's it's this thing in little statue in the shape of a sarcophagus and uh, where they buried the, the egyptians how it got there and when it got there nobody knows but it's from 1600 bc but wow. it's from thank you. <laughs> but it's from 1600 wow, BC. That's very interesting, isn't it? They also found human remains as well when they dug below the, the level of the chapel to build the fort. So they think possibly um, remains of a hermit that possibly lived there 
at some point. Wow. You've got to have a hermit on an island. It's, it's, it's by law. Yes, yes, yes. It, it, yes. It's written in stone. Yes. Okay, so it was the chapel, and then it went on to be a Victorian fort, doesn't it? Now, I know some of our listeners may not have been on to the island as of yet, and I'm sure there's been many people who do live in Pembrokeshire that absolutely is a must every single year, isn't it? It's a beautiful um, attraction, as we said. So what history do we know about the fort? Um, well, it was built in 1867, and that was the first year of construction. It was built to protect us from the French. Um, Napoleon III, who was the nephew of Napoleon Bonaparte, he'd just been made Emperor of France, and we've had a bit of a rocky relationship with France over the millennia, um, to say the least, and we were very worried that he wanted to emulate his uncle's plans to become a great ruler of Europe. And so we we, um, we had a, a prime minister called Lord Palmerston, and he constructed many, many forts around the British coastline to protect us. Wow. So, for example, in Pembrokeshire, St. Catherine's is not the only fort of that period. If you go anywhere around Milford Haven, you'll see the forts of the same period, like Thorn Island in the middle of the, if the Haven, You've got Dale on the north side, you've got uh, Angle on the south side, Stack Rocks, Scoverston. Chapel Bay, Hubberston. Uh, ch- Thank you, Chapel <laughs> Bay, Hubberston. A, a huge ring of forts, um, because at that period, Milford Haven was very important because it was the big shipbuilding place for yes, the Royal Navy. It was the yeah. biggest of all, uh, much bigger than Portsmouth or Devonport. Um, and it had to be protected, mm. and it was protected by a ring of forts there, more forts at the entrance to the Milford Haven, and St Catherine's Fort was intended to be the first of five forts all along the south coast at bays where the nast- dastardly French could come in, land the army on the beach, and march over and attack the shipbuilding place, which was, of course, Pembroke Dock. Wow. Wow. So what about the army? Whereabouts were they based? Were they were they local? or do, I mean, where did they live? Uh, they started off living on the fort. Can't have been very comfortable. Um, you can't there fit were, many people in there, though, can you? I can't remember. 30 men? Yeah, approximately 30. Approximately 30 men plus the officers. And they lived on the fort, I think, for about the first five years. But then they were found billets in the town itself and only went across to um, the wow. fort for, for practice uh, I think because it's so damp and uncomfortable there yeah it's volcanic limestone so when you visit the island it's the best place on a hot day to cool off inside that it's always cold it'd be the perfect place to grow mushrooms or to store wine or to store cheese it's very damp it's very cold and that's one of the reasons why you work there, isn't Absolutely, it? Absolutely, because I'm so chilled. <laughs> if anybody has got any questions that they'd like to ask Tudor or Andy, there are tour guides of St Catherine's Island, then please feel free to call in. You can speak to them live this evening. It's 01437 764455. Or, of course, you can text in on 60777. Just remember to put PWR before your message. Or, of course, you can hit us up on Facebook. We're going to take it away with another live uh, our live aid soundtrack now this is nick corshaw and wouldn't it be good
problem I'd stay right there if I were you I got it harder You couldn't dream how hard I got it Stay out of my shoes If you know what's good for you The heat is stifling Burning me up from the inside The sweat is coming Through each and every pore And I don't wanna be here no more I don't wanna be here no more I don't wanna be here no Pure West Radio anywhere. Download the Pure West Radio mobile app from the App Store or Google Play. Pure West Radio. Love is king. Crown you with my heart. Your love is king. Never. 
that was Sade and Joel Love is King. Well, it has come to that time of the evening where we're going to do our healing energy radiating out to you all tonight. Now, as it is Live Aid, we've chosen the very famous Paul McCartney tune, Let It Be, from Live Aid. So if you sit back, relax, to send out any thoughts for anybody that's in need of healing tonight, whether it's your family, your loved ones, your friends, or even your family of animals, sit back and relax, and myself and Emma will radiate our energy healing to all tonight.
there with the Live Aid concert um, fantastic night tonight that we're going to be playing Live Aid music all the way through this evening uh, so if you do have a request don't forget to message in PWR just the text number is 60777 so as we said we have joining us tonight we do have Tudor Thomas and also Andy Jones thank you very much gentlemen for joining us in the studio tonight it's a pleasure to have you join us thank you and we were just talking about St Catherine's Fort weren't we as you're the tour guides so how long were the soldiers stationed there on the island the short answer to that is we really don't know the the standard time that they were supposed to be there was for two years but they might have been moved because of sickness or promotion or because they left the army in any case, um, when the this this fort was basically obsolete when it was built, so the number of guns reduced and the number of soldiers reduced. So by 1900, there was nobody there but the caretaker. Oh, okay. So uh, it was gradually run down. And he was there uh, looking after the he guns. He was actually then. there with <laughs> his with a box of matches just in case. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with uh, with his wife and two children, apparently. Really? That they lived on the island? They lived on the island all, all year. Oh, apparently. wow. Um, but in 1906, they sold the place off. Um, the guns they got rid of by pushing them down the corridor and into the sea. Really? Uh, Were um, they ever, um, you know, discovered? Were they ever rescued from well, the water? We always say that it was far easier for them to send a diver down with a chain to recover the guns yeah. that way than it would have been to manhandle them off the island. Um, so what we think is that that's how they re- recover, but we never know uh, after that whether they were used elsewhere in the world or whether they were melted down for scrap. We do, just do we know where they are now or not at all? No, no. no. They, pro- they were probably melted down because they were valuable gun metal to make other guns. But if I can come back to the uh, the soldiers themselves, they had a very cushy night life there on really? the island. Um, well, nice part of the world to be based. Absolutely. Um, they were all volunteers. They were um, very well paid. Uh, the only problem came, when, they, of course, when they fired the guns, when um, the noise must have been so much. Mm. Uh, oh, and the flash yeah. and the concussion. and uh, uh, Most Health of those wise. men would have gone deaf yeah. very quickly. And the people of Tembe was very angry when we test-fired the guns for the first time because mm-hmm. the men on the fort forgot to tell anybody in Tembe that we were going to fire them. And unfortunately, we smashed every single window in the town <laughs> with the percussion <laughs> off said guns. Yeah. 
so yeah, for, so from then on, we if we were test firing the guns, we had to put a little piece in the newspaper. So, so when was that then, Andy? This uh, well, this gives you some idea of the urgency of the fort. By the time the fort was finished, when, when it was built, um, so if we, for three years, it only took three years to build the fort. We were under threat by the French. Mm-hmm. By the time the fort was built, the French had been defeated by the Prussians. So we. All of a sudden, the urgency for anything to do with the fort just faded away. So for the first four years, we didn't even have guns there. and They never fired the guns for a further three years. So it was 1877 by the time they even tested the guns for the first time. Could you imagine that? All the windows just completely... That would have been a big bill. Yeah, well, it it says a lot for the urgency of those guns. Because if I had a new gun in the post, the first thing I'd do is get the box open and the package in and have a go. It just shows you that there's no rush to fire those guns. But if anyone ever goes to Gilter Point on the um, far side of South um, the South Beach in Tembe, you'll see a big gouge taken out of the top of Gilter Point that looks like a giant has taken a big bite. Well, we've always told people that that was natural erosion because people go, oh, yeah, I bet you did that. No, we didn't. Well, we found out several weeks ago that actually, yes, when they <laughs> test-fired the guns, they did do that as well. Oh, bless them. Mm. And with regards to the soldiers then, I know you said that some of them lived on the island, but there was also some of them that lived in Tembe Town. Did they used to do it on a rotor service, was it, that, or something? No, I, I think they were, they were all moved off the island, found okay. places in, in town, um, and they just came onto the island to to practice on or to maintain the I guns see. and make sure that they were in a fit condition to fire. Um, for in the same way, when the the fort after the fort was abandoned, it was reoccupied in the First World War um, with any soldiers they could find, basically, and in the Second World War. And I believe you've got um, a link to that in this very studio with Emma. (laughs) (laughs) We do indeed. Yes, Emma, tell us your story. So I do know then that um, my family, we have the Belgrave Hotel in Tenby. And and that was was used by by the army for, um, you know, I, I should imagine some hospital and um, medical aid and things like that. And I know that the bar at the moment at the Belgrave used to be the um, the officers' mess. Mm-hmm. And um, and over the the years of me being on reception, a couple of gentlemen would come in, and they would ask to go downstairs, which is now our dining room. And that was where they spent many weeks or months um, down there um, recuperating. And uh, they would live there down in our in the basements of the Belgrave. Wow, that's amazing. If any of our listeners tonight have got any stories like Emma, please give us a call at 01437 764455 and let us know all of your stories. But the story doesn't stop there, does it? The tales of St Catherine's Island doesn't stop there, does it? Because after the fort, it then turned into a lavish summer house, didn't it? It did, yeah. There was a gentleman that came along in 1914, uh, a man called Edward Windsor Richards, and he came with his daughter Lillian and he was a very rich man and a very influential man he had iron and steel foundries in the South Wales Valleys he was president of the Steel Corporation in Great Britain and he also pioneered various methods of producing iron and steel and so he came there with his daughter Lillian Um, we would then in those days call Lillian a socialite whereas today we'd probably call her a wild party animal Oh, okay. (laughs) And so we always say that you can imagine if you wanted to put a rave anywhere in the world, not suggesting it for a million years, but (laughs) in the fort, 
uh, on top of a cliff surrounded by water uh, in a military fort would be a very good place to hold a rave. And that's the type of socialite she, she was, She did mono it? parties to be broken up. Okay, I understand. So she, she was a party girl, a wild party girl. Uh-huh. So what do we know about Lillian? Um, well, basically she was grown up at the time that... Um, they, she pers- must have persuaded her father to buy the place for her because she wanted some place to to have her 1920s equivalent of a rave. Yeah. Um, and they spent something like £2,000 in money at that time to buy the place. And then they spent £20,000, which would be about, what, £20 million now, wow. renovating it to produce really? uh, the lush... Um, Tudor always calls it Downton Abbey by the sea. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, <laughs> the, um, they did make huge alterations to the place. Um, they cut holes in the roof. They laid down new floors. They put windows in. They divided off the open gun bays with beautiful wooden partitions, some of which are still there, mm. um, all with leaded glass in the uh, stained glass. And then they furnished the place, and the quality of furniture in there was breathtaking. You know, they had um, Italian Renaissance portraits So what was Lillian's occupation then? Socialite. Oh, just a socialite. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think she was a bit bit of a a social climber. Um, What she wanted to do was to come down for the summer and spend all summer there and entertain all of her friends and all of the local important people. Um, make a big name for herself. She was, she was also a very generous woman. After all, it wasn't her money, it was Daddy's. Mm. How, did, um, how did Daddy acquire his money? He From was, his steel foundries, wasn't it? Yeah, he, he was a big... In, first of all, in the South Wales Valleys and then in Middlesbrough, mm-hmm. uh, he was one of the men who developed the Gilchrist-Thomas process for making steel. This is getting very tech. It is. It tech is. and boring. It's, and it's very interesting. I find it very interesting to find out how they were able to... But well, he ended up as president of the steel. Institute of Engineers. Very eminent ma- engineer. He died in 1921, which meant that during the 20s and 30s, she was free to hold her parties. Um, busily spending his money. So do we know the type of people that would go to her parties? Is there any names that we can mention that used um, to go to her parties? I don't know. We don't, don't have any names. I do have one story about the style of the parties. Um, there was one chap who was uh, late for one of the parties and he walked down the ramp to the beach, Castle Beach, mm-hmm. and he's dressed for the, to the nines. He, he looks like... Um, uh, uh, something out of P.G. Woodhouse or something yeah. like that and he's got his top hat and he's got his cape and his white bow tie and he's got his spats and his black pattern and shoes. Posh, yeah. Oh, he's, he's a party. Yeah. And he's late. He's, he's missed the boat, literally, because the tide is in and they used to have a boat to take the people across to the island. So um, how was he going to get to the, uh, the party? Well, he could have given up and gone away. He could have gone over to the harbour and said, persuaded one of the boatmen to, to row him over. But, oh, no, he, he's, this is uh, the style. Takes off all his clothes, swims out to the island and no. spends the rest of the evening at the party with just a blanket around him. No. <laughs> well, that's the way to do it, isn't it? Yeah. That style. Absolutely. Style. That is absolutely the way to do it. So do we know if we have any of Lillian's uh, relatives that are alive now? 
I think there are there are they were a very private family. Um, I know that the son was a big racing driver between the wars. He was racing cars right up until the nineteen sixties. Um, but I, and I think that there is another generation as well. Mm. But we're, it's like a lot of things with the island. We're still investigating things. Of course. Gaps in our knowledge. Uh, it's an ongoing process. Yeah. And one of the things that we really um, are craving is a photograph of Lillian because we know so mm. much about her. She such, sounds like such a colourful character. We know what her father looks like, but we don't know what Lillian looks like. Well, if anybody that's tuned in tonight that know of any Lillian's relatives or knows of any um, photos or any documentation at all regarding the island at that time, then please get in touch with us here at POS Radio. Of course, get in touch with St. Catherine's Island with Tudor or Andy because, uh, yeah, they'll certainly be very, very happy to receive the information. It's like putting a jigsaw puzzle together, isn't it? It's a detective story every day. And it's one of these things that the more you look into it, the more it opens up. It's fascinating. Wow. And so what else? Because that wasn't the end of the story with regards to St Catherine's Island either, was it? So how have we led to the present day with it being a local attraction? What else has the island been since then? Uh, Well, we've talked about the the military period. We've talked about Mrs Windsor. Poor woman. Uh, she was so generous, she went ba- bankrupt. Oh, bless her. Uh, and the, the island had to be sold off in 1939. Uh, well, 1940. She had a bit of a bust up with the army that had been reinstalled there. Um, after the war, it was sold to another solicitor, a chap called Mr. Chappelle, who we've discovered uh, he had friends over. And last year, we had the son of the guest arriving and said, oh, would you like these photographs? Really? Talking about... Wow. Um, and there they are, sitting in front of the uh, the main doors of the fort. So people can see them now when they come to visit St Catherine's Island? Um, yes. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. And and the, sorry. No, carry on. And also it's been... You were saying about... Um, the the other um that is also what else the I, the island has been it's also been a zoo has it been was it a yes. zoo shortly after that we we always tell people that we get, we get people every day saying what a wonderful place this would be to live in this would make the best hotel the best casino the best nightclub and we say no it wouldn't and they say well why how long have you got so we can tell you why because the list is immense why it would be an awful place to live um, you can imagine holding a hotel there. You're on a blue flag beach, um, so you have to get permission to get everything across. The fort is very damp. There's no amenities. The island itself is what we call an SSSI, which is a site of scientific interest, basically. And so that all the wildlife from the low to the high tide um, is protected. In the 1850s, um, George Eliot, who wrote Mill on the Floss, the island was her favourite place in the world. She used to come with a hammer and chisel and knock bits off the rock, which is not uh, really not allowed these days. It's um, So it's not very suitable to live in. So by the time um, it was privately owned in the 60s, a family came along and despite all the, the problems, they decided that it would be the perfect place to have a zoo. And so they had over 100 animals. Every single animal had to be taken up, all the feed, all the mm. fuel, every single thing had to be taken up by hand. Yeah. That must have been quite time-consuming as well, mustn't it? Well, just like us, they're, they're constricted by tides as well. Yeah. So we could have a beach full of people on a lovely sunny day, and if the tide's in, you can't open. 
And does, that would also come with the, the foods and so forth, like, and fresh water, things like that as yeah, well, wouldn't it? absolutely. I mean, food, I guess, you can store, but as you said, if it's damp and dark, then yeah. that would have an impact as well. So was that the reason for the, the, the zoo closing down? It was one of the reasons, I think. Uh, it was just difficult to operate the zoo. The, the main reason, though, I think, was that they, they had lots and lots of visitors, mm. um, they, but they never made enough money to, to feed the animals properly. It, it's a different oh, time course, for yeah. zoos. You would never yeah. be allowed to uh, start a zoo there now. No. Um, they lasted for 10 years, but then it was basically closed down. Uh, the animals were all dispersed, and after that, for 35 years, the place was just abandoned. So do we know what animals were on the island? Ooh. Well, there's a, there's a huge list. They had a pet badger that lived on the roof called Winston. They had otters, marmosets. The, the list is endless. It was over 100 animals. They had goats really? that lived on the island keeping the grass down. We know they had seven dogs and a cat. Um, they had a gibbon. Um, the downstairs were all what we call the scarier animals. Of course, because we don't necessarily get to see downstairs, do we, when we come over to the island? We only get to see the actual fort. So there was me in my mind trying to fit these hundred animals in that small place and it just wasn't working in my head. So I understand why they would have had them downstairs as well, is it? Absolutely, yeah. Um, um, while we're on that subject, that is one of the, the newer areas we're hoping to open next year is downstairs and also the roof as well for next Oh, year. wow. Because at the moment, as I said, we can only just go into the fort. I know that it, it wasn't that long ago, actually, was it, um, Emma? We went to watch um, the Titanic, the movie there from, was it 1952? That was an amazing, amazing evening that we uh, that we had there, wasn't it? Everybody was dressed up in the attire for the Titanic. I really enjoyed that. So have we got any other projects or events coming up later this year? Uh, yes, in December 